0: So Josh, you and Becky just stay up just for a moment, if you will. And uh, Josh, just let me verify with you, have you and I talked about you staying up here at all today? Is this a complete surprise for you? Okay, I just wanted to verify that. I'm gonna give Josh and Becky uh, uh, maybe 90 seconds to come up with the lyrics. Uh, Do y'all have a hymnal? No, no, no. You cannot use a computer. And no hymnal. Is is there any more hymnals up there? Okay. And and so here's the computer. Let's get all this out of the way. Uh, That looks safe. Y'all have 90 seconds to confer. I want to know the lyrics of the last verse of Standing on the Promises today. I'm going to start talking to the congregation. We're going to forget about you for about a minute and a half. And if the two of you cannot come up with a verse the words of the last verse of standing on the promises. (laughs) Now, now, uh, you don't need a microphone. I I, I don't want to hear anything from you except in about 90 seconds. Now, I didn't say you could play. We don't need any music. I'm just going to let you all confer. And while they're thinking about that, I just wonder how many of you had a great Thanksgiving? Can I just see your hands? How many of you ate way too much? Can I see your hands? Okay. I just want you to know I'm excited that you're here today and I'm gonna ask in a few moments, we're gonna be reading from the book of 2 Peter. And today as Josh led us just a moment ago about the importance of a foundation, we're gonna be laying a little foundation for each of us today around a very important theological subject of, are you ready? God's promises. And so now that 91 seconds, 92, 93 have passed, let's see what our illustrious worship pastor has come up with. And I just want to show you how spoiled people are with this television back here that gives them the words. It spoon feeds them every week. You see? Or, or do you think you have the answer to the last verse of standing on the promise? Which hymnal? The hymnal that has been used down throughout Baptist history. Which one? The one that was here prior to multiple... The blue one. I'm ready. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall to the Spirit's call. Wait, wait now. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall. What did you say? Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all-in-all, all, standing on the promises of God. I have not verified that that is correct. I have that written down up here. Here is the correct. Now, now why are you opening that? i got to check you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Y'all go ahead and be seated. I, I, this, this did not turn out the way I had hoped it would turn out at all, so... Standing on the promises, I cannot fall. Did you say that part? Okay. List. Did, did you say listening? Listening. Oh, now that's important. Listening. Listening. That's hyphenated every moment of the Spirit's call. Did you get that part? Okay. To the, Spirit. to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Did you get that line? Without any problem there? Okay, and the last one, standing on the promises of God. Amen. Man, I'm telling you, he's pretty good, isn't he? Now, y'all get out of here. I, I'm, I'm never doing audience participation again. That's crazy. That is a great, I don't know why we don't sing that more. We should have sung that today, shouldn't we? And Josh said, if you would just ask me, but then it would have ruined my challenge for him. I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about promises. Someone asked me a few days ago, Pastor, what are you most thankful about? What are you most thankful for? In terms of thanksgiving, how would you have an answer to that? Your salvation? Man, that, that, that might have to be at the top for some. Uh, would some of you put your family there? Um, And from there, I mean, the list might go anywhere. But the more I thought about that, you know, one of the things that I'm most thankful about in my Christian life are God's promises. And I think it's something that we don't talk about very much. We don't teach on very often. I think it is uh, really one of the big cornerstones that should be at the very heart of our Christian lives. And so today, I'm just going to spend just a few moments with you. Uh, I hope you brought something to write with, maybe on the back of your bulletin there in some sermon note space or a gum wrapper or whatever might be effective for you. Uh, In a few moments, uh, I want to talk to you about four of these foundational pictures of God's promises. And uh, I, I don't know where you are in your Christian life, Some of you I have a better feeling for than others. Uh, But but I'm telling you, if the promises are not a real anchor for you in your Christian life, they should be. And when we read God's Word, those promises uh, are just, our Bible is filled with them. I love that last stanza of standing on the promises. I Standing there because I cannot what? I cannot fail. I cannot fall. I cannot slip. I, I mean, that's an incredible line. And then followed up by that incredible picture, that amazing picture of I, I'm following, I'm listening, I, I'm in tune with the Spirit's call. And then those last final two affirmatives, I'm resting. And you might think that's strange for the writer to say, of all things, with all these action moments, are now resting. And then you get into this question, is resting an action <laughs> or is resting resting? But just being there in the safety and security of our Savior, our all in all, and then that final resounding statement, we're standing. We're standing on the promises of God. And you see, when we stand on the promises, it really talks more about the focus of our lives. When we are really engaged more in that listening of the Spirit's call, it really is more of a following of the incredible voice of God in our lives. And when we finally come to that place where we're resting in our Savior, it really speaks more to the faith that we have in our lives. And we're just going to begin today building this foundation over in the book of 2 Peter. Now, I want you to look in chapter 1, and in just a moment, I'm going to begin reading for us in verse 3 and 4, because it is there that Peter gives us this resounding, I guess, thumbs up, this resounding banner that he's waving about some of the strong principles of the Christian life. And uh, out of that, he talks about the meaning of these promises that God has given us. Follow along with me as I just read verses 3 and 4 out of Second Peter chapter number 1. Now I want you to hear what God's word says about this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by, by his own glory and his own goodness. Now look carefully at verse 4 with me through... Uh, Uh, Through these, he has given us his very great... If we had a few more moments today together, uh, we, we would do a little word research here. But from the Greek language, I just cannot emphasize enough the enormity that this phrase represents. The very great and precious promises... So that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world, uh, in the world caused by evil desires. Now, notice, Peter did not refer here to precious memories, Peter refers here to precious promises. And I just ask you today what makes God's promises so precious? Peter refers to them, these great promises, these enormous promises. And then he backs that up with this incredible statement, they are precious. And what makes God's promises so precious? I'll tell you what makes them so precious, their cost. Their great, great cost. Every one of these incredible promises that our Bibles contain came and were paid for at a cost. They're great value, if you will. And we know, don't we, that every promise that God gives us comes through his son. In fact, the Bible says it was stained in the very blood of his son. Quickly this morning, let's build a little foundation together. Some of these, for, for, for many of you, will be, uh, hey, I, I knew that kind of moments. For some of you that, man, I'm so thankful. Many of you brought family members to our service today. Thanks for doing that. That gives us an opportunity to meet them and talk with them. And that's so encouraging when you bring family members. Would you bring them back Christmas Eve at 5.30? We'll be out in 52 minutes. You can wear your denims. It's going to be a great Christmas Eve service as well. And uh, we're going to test Josh again on that night, he just doesn't know it, and see how incredible he is in terms of memory. Uh, in fact, Josh, what if we just wean away from all these screens? I mean, I don't get screens. I, I don't get any helps. Oh, this, oh, you want me to preach with no notes? I got you, okay. That may be a challenge of challenges right there, the throwdown. Let's quickly list four characteristics, if you will, Four pillars of the foundation of God's promises. Now, if you'll just jot them down somewhere. First of all, I think it's important as followers of Christ that when we look at in God's incredible promises, we know about the location of God's promises. The location of God's promises. Where are these promises found? In the Bible. In the incredible Word of God. How many many promises are there? Are there a thousand promises? Are there 2,000? Are there 49? Are there 3,000? Many of you have heard Bible teachers through the years refer to our Bibles have over 3,000 promises. Now, I'm going to give you the best number that we have, and I'm just going to be completely transparent with you today. I have never counted all the promises in the Bible. Now, I know that the legend, Pastor Mike Britton, has done that many times, but they tell us, scholars do, that there are, to be exact, 3,573 promises, Now, I don't know that that can, I don't know that I've ever, I haven't ever verified that. Why don't you this afternoon spend a little time counting all the promises? But I think it's safe to say our Bible, our Bibles, they're what? They're filled with God's incredible promises. And many of them are right there for us waiting to be claimed. Are you claiming God's promises You see, the location of those promises is important. When we open up our Bibles and begin to read, for instance, do you know where the first promise is God's word is given to us? It's given to us in a book called Genesis. Chapter three in verse number 15. Do you remember it when God's speaking to the serpent in the midst of all the turmoil in the Garden of Eden? God's first promise to his people are given in Genesis 3.15. And the verse says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. You will crush, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You know where the last promise is? Now let's put our thinking caps on here. If the first promise is in the book of Genesis, where do you suppose the last promise is in our Bible? I'm telling you, I don't know that I've ever preached or taught a more intelligent group of people. Pat yourself on the back right now. What an incredible thought there. All the way over in Revelation chapter 22, we have this final promise, if you will, final pledge, if you will, in verse number three, the Bible says, no longer will there be any curse but the throne of God and the lamb will be the city and the servants will serve him. Do you remember how Revelation 22 ends up? It has this incredible statement, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Have you ever thought about this? Every promise that you and I have ever needed or ever will need is right here in God's incredible word, written down in the unchanging infallible word of God. Every problem that we face, God has a promise for us that he gives to us by his grace. One writer said that the promises of God are like life preservers. I love it. They keep, he said, your soul from sinking in the sea of trouble. Wow. And when we open up each time God's word and we read it, when we sing it and we worship in God's word, when we we, uh, have our devotional time, when God is speaking to us and and we are connected to his incredible scripture, and his word, each of us should be at the place in our fellowship that we are looking for every single promise of God. We're ready to discover it And to walk away from saying, you know what, I love that promise. I'm going to live in that promise. I'm going to live by that promise. We need to be listening for those promises. And we need to be looking for those promises. And we need to be living by those promises. So one of the first cornerstones is the location of the promises. Now jot down a second very important principle. Not just the location of God's promises, but the expression of God's promises. The expression of God's promises. What do they express to us, these promises? What do they communicate to us? They're all vastly different in many of them in the content and the makeup, but when we take them in totality, holistically, all, all 3,000 plus promises, what is the essence of them in terms of expression? The essence is that God loves us. It's his grace in our lives. I just wonder today, I'm about halfway scared to even ask, after the fiasco of this opening audience participation moment. But if I were bold enough to ask you, I just wonder if there would be anybody here today that would work through 3,000 plus promises, read them, ingest them, think about them, process them, and be able to stand to their feet today and say, Pastor, I deserve every one of those promises. I think most of us as we process through those would probably come to the conclusion, "Hmm, Pastor, I don't know that I'm really deserving of all that. Pastor, I'm somewhat overwhelmed that my God would give all of those pledges and promises to me. And as we begin to absorb these incredible promises and how God expresses those to us, we cannot help but be reminded that part of this expression of these promises are God's remarkable grace. I mentioned a moment ago the first the first promise in our Bible, Genesis three fifteen. I mean, think about in the heat of that moment, Adam and Eve sinning and transgressing against God. We know it was the old the old serpent that was behind it. And you know, at that moment, when we look back historically, there could have been a number of things that God had chosen to do. He could have been silent. He could have just walked away. But of all things, in the midst of this sin, God gave affirmation and a promise of hope. Serpent, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. The rest of your life and all of the offspring from you, humanity will be putting a death blow on your heads all of the rest of your existence. Now you'll be marking the heel of the man, but let me tell you something, there'll be a death blow to your head. Have you ever stopped to think that in, even in the midst of that transgression, God was already at work. What was he doing? Speaking to us and drawing us and receiving us and forgiving us and and saving us, if you will, by giving this word of hope and this promise. And I would suggest to you that God did not have to do that. He could have turned his back on us, but he came and he reached out to us. Pardon me, but hallelujah, what a Savior we have. I love how Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 1.20. Paul stated this way, no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yeses. Yes. Every one of them is a yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the what? To the glory of God. Well, we can't get away from it, can we? That location so important. We know where they are. The expression of it, how God expresses and why he expresses these promises, man, that's, that's very valuable to us. But can I just give you a third one quickly? And that is the provision of God's promises. The provision of God's incredible promises. Now we know, don't we, that a promise is only as dependable as the one making the promise. For instance, Josh knows with certainty, or he better, that on Christmas Eve, I've got a surprise coming for him. And I know that the next month, he'll be looking forward to that with great anticipation. Because I pledged it. I promised him I have something for you on Christmas Eve, Josh, and it's going to be a really special surprise just like when the police called me and wondered, does the fellow in the white suburban driving around stalking people in Longview, does he work there at Oakland Heights as some have suggested? How dependable is the one that has made these promises? Our Bibles help us so much to know the very nature of God, the character and the makeup of him. You remember what Titus wrote over in Titus 1-2? Titus just made this statement point blank in the hope of eternal life which, in which God, he says, who does not lie. One of the things we know that it is an impossibility to do, God cannot and will not ever lie. And so knowing of his promises being vested in the very nature of who he is, knowing that he cannot lie and that he is the the faithful God, we've come to grips with something very important. Not only is God the promise maker, but our great God is the promise keeper. And so, immediately, the provision of each one of these promises begins to mean so much more to us. When it comes to God, He can't break those, and He's very trustworthy. And so, each and every time that I'm able to absorb and allow one of those promises to soak into my heart, immediately I begin to understand something important. This promise is pledged and given by the God of this universe. I can trust them. I can take them to heart and to heed, each one of them, as God's ultimate pledge, and He will fulfill every one of those. Often, when I'm pastoring, I come up on people from time to time that begin to doubt that. Many times, because people ask God for certain things and He has not responded, or many times, They've read one of these promises or pledges of God, and, and it has not come to fruition in their life, and so many times it, it leads to some despondency and discouragement. But I' remind each of us today, as we're thinking about God's promises, these promises don't come with specific times and specific dates. We've got to understand that there's many of these that we have to wait for God to fulfill His promises. Now, I don't know about you. Well, let's just be honest about it today. How many of you really don't enjoy waiting? Can I just see your hands waiting in line, waiting at the doctor's office? Waiting. Waiting for a return call from the doctor. Can I hear an amen to that? Or from the pharmacy or wherever it is. Many of us do not like waiting. I think about some of our young ladies that uh, are 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 already gearing up as all things. One of them said, "Hey, hey, we're getting ready for cheerleader tryouts." I said, "What do you mean? We're we're in the middle of the year." And they said, "Oh no, this spring we got to try out again. So we're already gearing up. Can you? I mean, can you imagine all these young ladies are judged for cheerleader. Only X amount are going to make it, and it's that period of time between the tryouts and when the." The judges come out or they post it and they run off so often. But uh, until it's posted and, and the evidence of who is going to receive that, uh, that, that particular position of cheer line on that particular year. I, I mean, it's, it's the waiting. We hate that, don't we? And many of us think waiting is wasting. But let me tell you something. When it comes to God's promises, waiting time is not wasting time. It is trusting time. I love this little, this little quote that C.H. Uh, Mahaney wrote in his book, True Greatness. I want you to listen to it. I'm going to read it two times to you. Mahaney said this in his book, True Greatness, an active trust in God to provide fulfillment in his perfect timing according to his ultimate purpose for the glorification of, of his son I love that what is waiting on God's promises it's an active trust in God to provide fulfillment in his perfect timing according to his ultimate purpose for glorifying his son the writer of Hebrews described this waiting period this way in Hebrews 10:23. he said let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, and he who promised is faithful. We read a moment ago from 2 Peter 1. Listen to what the big fisherman said. He figured this whole waiting concept out. He, he wrote in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance." I know, you know, we all know, there are times when we think, you know, it just doesn't look like God's gonna come through for us this time. You know, uh, know, God hasn't spoken, God's not moved, we've not received that promise. I just remind you, his timing is perfect. He's never early and he's never late. Well, we've talked about the location. Did you jot that down? We've talked about the expression and we dealt with his provision. What is the provision of these promises? But write this final concept down. I want to just for a moment, talk about the description. It's the best word I could come up with. The description of God's promises. How would we describe them. Now we know that out of these 3,500 promises or so, not not all promises are the same. They're not all identical. And if we were just to kind of back up from a theological standpoint, we could probably in simple terms now, very general terms, bracket all 3,000 plus promises into two categories. We could put all of those in One category, or many of them in a category called unconditional promises. Where God just says, this is the way it's going to be, and that's it. Nothing else will have impact. There's no no other action required. God makes a promise, it happens. I think one of the most prominent places in our Bible that we were able to really grasp this unconditional promise is over in Genesis chapter 9 when God is speaking to a man by the name of Noah. And God in Genesis nine eleven says, hey, I'm going to make this promise never again. Will this world ever be destroyed by water? Noah, the floods that you have been a part of, I want to give you a promise. The rainbow will be a physical sign of that. It it will be an emblem, a pledge of the promise that I've made to you, a token of remembrance for the generations to come that never, ever again will this world be destroyed by water. And that's the unconditional promise. God said it, no other action required, That's the way it is. But many of the promises that God gives us fit into a second category, and that is the conditional promise. Where there are certain things God says, here's what's gonna happen if you do this. This promise will come to fruition if this group does this, or if this would to occur, or if this action on your part, unfolds, then this is what you're going to start to see. I think one of the great examples of this in our Bible is over in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, where we have this simple, concise, conditional promise. Do you remember it? Romans 10, 13 just simply says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Every single person That calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, that tells us a number of things. It tells us, number one, that not everyone is going to be what? Saved. Because not everyone is going to fulfill that condition. Not everyone's going to call upon the name of the Lord. But that conditional promise to be saved, we've got to meet God's condition. God says, if you want salvation, you've got to call upon me. Wow. You know, in our lostness, we don't have to do anything to experience eternal separation from our Lord from now on, upon death, throughout all of eternity. To live in hell, we don't have to do anything. Live in sin, die in sin. Live in separation of God, we don't have to do anything. Just follow down that road. But to be saved, God says, it's very clear, you've got to call upon my name. You see, that's why these promises are so important as we describe them. God's promises give us a footing when our lives are in a tailspin and out of control and we don't know where to go. It's it's God's promises that bring stability and strength in our lives. And I encounter so often people that are just struggling with trusting God. And maybe on this morning, In this service, maybe there are some of you that are are here and deep in your heart, you're here at the beck and call of a mom or a dad or a family member or a husband or a wife and hey, happy wife, happy life, I get it. But deep down, you're just not completely sold on this whole trust issue when it comes to God. The whole God thing and trusting is maybe just too much. And one of the questions I often ask people when I'm speaking to them about this struggle going on in their life, I can't tell you how many times I've asked people this question. Well, would you just be honest with me and share with me at this point? How much more does God have to do to earn your trust? Well, pastor, I just don't know that I can trust God to bring my marriage back together. Really? Well, just since we're talking about a trust issue, sir, how much more would God have to do in order for you to trust him? Or, or pastor, I just don't believe God can... I, I just. I just don't believe he could save me. I, I, I believe I've committed things I'm just embarrassed about. They're atrocities, really. They're, they're horrible things. And, 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 and I, I, I would just stop and say, well, well, what would God have to do more to convince you that you can trust him? And you know, so often there's just, just like across this service right now, there just falls a hush. I think I was trying to ponder before I came up today to share with you about God's promises as we just build this foundation, but I think it was about maybe seven weeks ago. I was sitting in a little establishment just north of here called Nukes. It was one of those days at lunch where I I think they had two times more occupancy levels than the little number posted on the wall allowed by law. It was loud. There were people, it seemed, coming in both side doors, bathroom doors flinging open. I struggled the entire lunch hearing this gentleman sitting across the table from me, not because my hearing's bad, but because it was, can I use a little East Texas, so doggone loud in there. But there was one thing that I heard. And from time to time, this happens to me. After this gentleman made this observation, I have not been able to shake it for almost seven weeks. It just keeps coming up in my heart, in my mind. I think about it. In the course of our conversation, he looked across the table at me and he made this statement. He said, you know what, pastor? I'm at the place in my life if God doesn't do anything else in my life, He's done enough. Pastor, I'm just at this place. If God doesn't do a single thing from here to my death on planet Earth, not one single thing in my life again, where my walk is right now, I just want you to know that my God has done enough. And as I process that over the last seven weeks, I mean, when it was first mentioned, it didn't soak in for me. But the more I have thought about that, do you realize what an incredible statement of faith that that is? Because we are takers. We always seem to want more. And here was a man at that particular point in his spiritual life that said, you know, as I look back and I think about where I am with my walk with the Lord, if God doesn't do anything else, he's done enough. And can I just say with assurance on this holiday Thanksgiving weekend, God has done more than enough to fulfill and pledge an assurance in everyone's heart that he is not just the promise maker, but he is the promise keeper. Would you pray with me this morning? Heads bowed. Are you one of those, as we mentioned a moment ago, that has just never chosen to call upon the name of the Lord, the Lord says, "If a hurting heart, a seeking heart, would just call out to me, that would be the beginning of an incredible moment of a move of the Holy Spirit on them, and them begin it being invested in me to begin an incredible relationship." Asking God to forgive that sin. And the focus changing in a heart and life. Not upon sin and self. But a whole new focus. Upon the Savior. Maybe there's someone here. That's been praying about being a part of this fellowship. I was so thrilled to hear one that had been visiting here for some time, said, people just make me feel so warm and welcome here at Oakland Heights Baptist Church. I've been praying about being uniting with this church. I just wonder if there are others just like that individual that have been praying about a church home. Man, as we enter this time of holidays, don't go through another Thanksgiving, another Christmas, without having a church home. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. We're going to stand to our feet, and we're going to continue to worship. All this entire service, we've been worshiping Him, exalting the name of Jesus, building a foundation of what Jesus has led. Every single promise that's ever given to us is so very valuable because it was filtered and paid for by the very life of our Savior. So today, as we've been building this foundation of promises, we come to this point in our service of a time of response. I'm going to voice a prayer for us. We're all going to stand and begin to sing. Our pastors and encouragers are going to be here at the front this morning. And as we just wait... We wait for those that are willing to say, "To this morning I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord and I want Jesus. On this morning, I want to be a part of this fellowship. Help me, pastor, know exactly what needs to be done for this to be my church home. Maybe there are those that this morning that need just a time of someone to sit and pray with you, to encourage you. So we make ourselves available on this, the Lord's day, to pray and encourage you in any way that we can. Lord, we love you, we worship you. Thank you for laughter. Thank you for fun. Thank you for worship. Thank you for being such an incredible God that even in the midst of our transgressions, the very first transgression of the human race, You did not choose silence, but you chose to bring a promise of hope, a word of affirmation and encouragement, a word of dire warning and prophecy against the one, the evil one, that was behind the very choices that were made. And Father, we know that if you were willing to do that in the book of Genesis, that you're just as willing today to do it for us, So, Father, as we bring our broken lives before you today, would you heal us? Father, would you bring us to a place in our fellowship with you that it's deeper, we're more connected? Father, would you bring us to that place where we are now seeking and watching actively for your promises so that we cannot just hear them and heed them, but live them? Father, we thank you for these foundational principles of your incredible promises now father as we continue our time of worship we want to be responsive responsive with our voices responsive with our attention and our focus but father most of all responsive with our hearts so as we sing today would your spirit speak and move about in the hearts and lives of each individual that's here And do the work that you need to do. We welcome you in this place. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning as we have our time of response?